you may be seated if you're not giving. Otherwise, open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews 13. Good to see everyone this morning. Thank you for your generosity to us and our family. Today, I want to talk about obeying your leaders for the third time. They say the saying, third time's a charm. I don't know what that would apply to in church because we're blessed and we don't need charms. Can I hear an amen to that? You don't need charms. Lucky charms are good. You like lucky charms? Does anybody go to Aldi's and get the generic charms? That's, yep, that's us. They just as good. They just as good. The, yeah, some say they're better. I'll tell you what. All these can do everything but Doritos. They can do everything but Doritos. Whatever those things are that they call Doritos, don't cut it. You got to get Doritos. They can have the fake Mountain Dew. They can have that. At one time, they said there was horse meat in their meat, and I'm like, that was good. I never noticed. I'm cool with that. But the Doritos, you got to always get the name brand Doritos. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 7, brother, can you please, and then we'll go to the notes. Because before we went into 17, we went through 7. We're going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, so that's where we're at in second service. And I want you to tie it together with me to 17. So start in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and it says what the scripture we heard today during the pastor appreciation says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their what? Their faith, thank you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if you just scroll down, you can see 17 flows right there into the passage that we're going to look at now. So I want everyone to understand chapters and verses were added later by scholars to make it easy for us to work the word, you know, because otherwise I would be like, open up the book of Hebrews to this one place where it says that, and it would take forever for you to get there. So we as... uh, uh, Bible students, we have to learn the chapters and the verses to make it easy for our congregation. But go with the flow. Just verse 7 said, remember your leaders. They spoke the word of God to you. Okay? Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. And now just verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. Now put that in King James, please, Hebrews 13, 17, so you'll get the word obey here. In the NIV, it says, have confidence in your leaders. The King James says, obey them that have rule over you. Now, if you're asking me, I think the uh, NIV is a little bit soft, a little snowflake-ish, you know? It's like, have confidence in your leaders. It's kind of like beta, and it's not alpha. Alpha is King James, obey them that have rule over you. So if you're asking me what translation I want to use to teach you to listen to me, we're going to Hebrews 13, 17 in the King James. Obey me. I rule over you. Half kid there. No, but I want you all to get the dynamic here. I want you to get it. Have confidence in and obey. How did the Greek translators do that? I mean, because it sounds like it's totally two different words. Like confidence is one word. Obey is another word. How do those relate? Well, the reason why they're connected like that is because in the church, in the leadership, for you to listen and follow them, you have to trust and have confidence in them. And somebody who you truly love and have confidence in, you'll obey them. So take, for example, all of you have jobs that you're going to do this week, 9 to 5, and you're going to be productive in that. If I came to your job, I trust and obey you, I'm going to start to do what you do if I was under your leadership. Now, I know you may, like, like haze me. You could play a joke on me. Like, let's say you're in customer service. You could tell me some funny lines to say to the customer that we're not supposed to say. But in all actuality, how many of you would take your job serious enough to train me how to do it? 
You would say, hey, Joe, if we're going to go on the construction site, you do this. You know, you don't go, uh, you know, into uh, AutoZone and ask for, uh, you know, changing the uh, headlights of fluid, you know. Like I've seen these mechanics do to their wives, you know. Hey, go in there and say we need the fluid for the headlights or the, the turn signal. I need the fluid for that. And they go in there and ask the guy something like that. And he's like, no, there is no fluid for your headlights in here. But how many are you the kind of, like, non-mechanical person? If a mechanic sent you on an errand like that, you'd be the one to do it. You, you would not know the difference. Like, whenever I go to the... Um, to the, you know, auto zone or whenever I do things like that, I trust them. Like, you know, I, I just, I trust them. Now, they're not asking me to obey them in a, like a big way, but when I go in there and I'm like, hey man, my windshield wiper is broke. I don't know which one it is. This is the kind of car I have. And they hand it to me. I trust them. How many have trusted people like that before? And then when you go and get your oil changed, and then they're like, man, this is the kind of oil that you need. How many trust those people? How many sometimes think they're a little shady, though? I'm still like, man, I don't know the difference. They're like, oh, look at this filter. You see this filter? It's all messed up right here. First of all, you could have grabbed that filter out of the garbage. I don't know my filters. I don't mark my filters. Look at this nasty filter. You, you're, you're, you're dumb if you drive with this. It's dangerous. You want all your kids to die? Seriously, they could be pulling out the same filter. I'm not trying to give anybody ideas here, right? But they could be pulling out the same filter and saying, this was in your car. Do you want this? No, I don't want it. Do you want to pay $500 for us to change it? It looks like plastic and a little piece of paper. Yeah, but I'll pay you $500 for this, you know? Okay, but how many of you are the kind of people that if you do oil changes, you're doing them right? If you're doing your job, you're doing it good, and you're not deceiving people. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Teachers. We have teachers in our, in our uh, church. We have military leaders in our church. I'm believing that you're doing the right things. I'm believing that when you go to your job as an electrician, I, my brother's in the back as an electrician, he's doing the right things because, honestly, you know, there's been exposés on that where people take advantage of customers, okay? But notice this. In the church... Unless you have a good reason to not trust me, if there has been something broken, and it's just not me, by the way, this is all of our leaders in the church, if there is a reason for you not to trust us, then you need to go with that. But if there's no reason not to trust me, you should obey what I have to say. But now, check this out. The obedience is connected to verse 7. So go back up to verse 7. Notice what you are obeying. You're not obeying my fashion choices. You're not obeying my dietary choices. Well, Joe likes this on his pizza, so we all have to eat this on our pizza. Or, or you know, for our youth, you know, Joe B likes to listen to this kind of music, so everybody has to listen to this. That's not how we're asking for obedience. Look at what it says. Remember them which have rule over you, who spoke unto you what? The word of who? The word of God. See, that's what's important. So when I'm asking you to obey, I'm really asking you to obey this, aren't I? And that's where a lot of pastors get in trouble is they start asking people to obey things that are not in the Scripture. I like Father Tom just as much of, as, as all of you. I have respect for the Catholic Church, but they can't show me kissing the, the statue of the Guadalupe, uh, the mother of Guadalupe in my Bible. So I'm not going to kiss the statue of the mother of Guadalupe. Are you guys tracking with me? You can't show me in the Bible where they went to water stains and said it was Jesus, okay, or, or, or the Virgin Mary. So I'm not going to the water stain over there talking to that stain like it's, like it's the mother of Mary, uh, mother of Jesus. You can't show me anywhere in the Bible of them praying to somebody else other than God. How many think that's pretty important to recognize? Well, do you pray to the saints, you know, all this and that? Well, let's just start with prayer to the saints. Just show me one time somebody prayed to a saint. 
I ain't doing that. Can I hear an amen? I'm not praying to a saint unless I saw somebody pray to a saint. You know, if, if Joshua, after he lost Moses, started praying to Moses, then I'd be like, okay, well, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. If after the disciples died, if I can see by the time in the book of Acts, after some of them had been martyred, that they started praying to the martyrs, okay, I get it. Like, that's what we do. God ordained it. I'm following it. How many believe God's word should be followed? Amen. I don't follow it blindly. God said, let us reason together. So he wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some people forget their mind when they go to church. We uh, were out evangelizing the other day, and there was a strange woman. She um, it definitely probably had mental issues, but we were loving on her. How many love crazy people? Amen. You got to love them. You got to hang out with them. You got to treat them like you would want to be treated, because if I go crazy, I want you all to love me. You know, I, I feel like, I'm not trying to speak this over my life, but Alzheimer's runs in my family. Saddest day of my life was seeing my grandmother with Alzheimer's, okay? She didn't recognize us. Very sad. And I just feel like that's somehow like the way I'm going out, but God's going to have a sense of humor with me, you know? So I'm going to be preaching to a wall thinking I'm in front of the masses, you know? I'm going to be out in my mind, but I'll still be preaching, you know? And what I say to you guys is just turn towards somebody to preach to, you know? He's crazy, but he'll preach to you. He'll not keep preaching, you know? But, but listen, you, you can't allow the areas of your life that you struggle with, that you have as disabilities to keep you from preaching the Word of God. you got to be faithful to the Word of God. Everybody say faithful. I'm going to be faithful until I lose my mind, and if I lose my mind, I still want to be preaching. As you see, sometimes even in the hospitals, they'll visit some of these older people, and they won't remember their family, but they'll remember Scripture, and they'll be able to sing gospel songs. You want to talk about tears coming down your eyes, man, that's, that's really blessed my heart. So if you look at this verse here, and it says, remember the leaders that spoke the Word of God to you, follow their instructions and all of that, we're talking about following the Word of God. We're not talking about following my preferences, that can lead you in a ditch, we're not talking about following whatever fashion I'm on. And and when you look at pastors who get off of that, they get to their opinions. And I feel, I understand what it's like to be a pastor. Sometimes you have people here, sometimes you don't. Sometimes they like you, sometimes you don't. And they don't, they don't. And you feel like you have to supplement the word of God with an illustration. And the illustrations are not wrong, okay? But but you know, they feel like they have to have illustrations, they have to entertain you, they have to make you laugh. But that's not what we are here to do. What we are here to do, what you gathered in this place to do is to learn the instruction of the Word of God. You're coming here to receive from my expertise, not based on my sense of humor. You're not here uh, to get my uh, expertise on what I think about politics. And of course, I have opinions, and we all do, and most of the time, they're like armpits. They stink, right? But that's not why we're here. What I'm here to do is to teach you the Word of God, and then you obey that. Turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Because the Word of God will endure forever while people come and go. Our opinions will come and go, but the Word of God will endure forever. And so even if I go uh, crazy, if I lose my mind, let's say not even in the sense of like Alzheimer's, let's say I became a sinner. I just heard from, from uh, TJ today, and I won't mention the name, about a minister that's now being accused of inappropriate behaviors with um, uh, women. And this is a large ministry, okay? And it's like, dear God, no. I hope it's not true, but I want there to be a full investigation. I want there to be truth to reveal. I don't want anybody covering up anything, okay? But what if it comes out to be that that, that pastor, that leader did those things? Does that change the word of God? Do we now say, okay, well, whatever that pastor said to me, I don't listen to now because that man, that person did these hideous things? Absolutely not. 
When I'm talking to the Roman Catholic, I'm not mocking them. I'm not saying to them that, uh, I, you know, I think you guys are silly. You're, you're not as smart as me. Some of them are extremely smart. I'm not saying they're not as dedicated. When I was looking up some teachings of the Roman Catholics, the place that I found it on was on a monastery, and these people get up like at 3 in the morning and pray and then do all of these different chores and meditations, vows of silence, and uh, they help the needy, and they go to bed at like 9 o'clock, and then they start again at 3 in the morning. How many know that's dedication? Right, So I'm not mocking that, but here's what I'm saying is I don't have to obey that. I don't have to obey what they consider to be Christianity. If you want to not get married and be a nun and have none of the marriage bed, that is up to you. But how many people are here today going, no, I don't want none of that? You don't want to be a nun because you don't want none of that. You want to be married, right? Like that's your calling. And I know they don't judge like that on everybody else who does it. But if you think you're more spiritual because you're not having any nookie-nookie, you think you're more spiritual, that doesn't make you more spiritual. Because when it comes to the illustration of us and Jesus, it's the bride of Christ. Marriage is honorable to God. And when he first created us, he made us male and female to be fruitful in marriage. So I understand that they may want to take those vows and they may want to go all in for God for what they feel for themselves is best. But that's not a commandment for everybody. Notice what Jesus said. Red letters here. Go and therefore make all disciples. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded you. Do you see the difference between obeying the commands versus obeying what God has said versus obeying what people have said? Okay, because people have a lot of commands to give you. If you let people, they'll, they'll ruin your life. They'll take over. I remember when my wife and I first started getting together, uh, her spiritual mentor at that time, who now, by the way, has dropped out of ministry and sells real estate, nothing with those, a problem with those who are realtors, but she's not even in ministry anymore. She tried to convince my wife that I wasn't right for her, uh, that we were not meant to be together. And I was like, I respectfully disagree with you. <laughs> My father has confirmed it. Her parents have confirmed it. Our pastor has confirmed it and is going to marry us. And then they actually went as a couple because that was my friend and then her mentor. That's actually how I ended up meeting her because her, uh, my friend, her mentor, brought them to their youth group to my outreach, okay? So that's how I met them. And so they did have a place in their life. And I believe in respecting your leaders, right? But that's why when we talk to you about where we are in your life, we're not going to meddle in your life about who you date and those kinds of things. Here's our number one priority when you're dating. Make sure they're a Christian, right? Like after that, like I'm not going to forbid you. Well, they went to my pastor who was going to marry us and tried to forbid us to get married. Am I not telling the truth? Sister Nancy. They tried to get in the way of our marriage. Goofy church people. Goofy, man. And this is, this is why I understand why when we talk to people out in the world, they can't understand the difference between Father Tom teaching us to kiss a porcelain statue to the friend that they had in church that tried to break up their marriage to whatever televangelists have told them about a holy cloth and a dollar, $199 offering. Like, I get it's confusing, but here's the thing. You can't use your confusion and people's whackness to get you out of what God has commanded you to do. You have to follow God's commands. We are commanded, notice this, we are commanded to now become leaders and 
teach God's commands. So where does it start? It starts with Jesus, moves to the apostles, and now goes to us. So now let's go back to uh, Hebrews. Let's go to our notes. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 17, have confidence or obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. They rule over you, as the King James says, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this that their, jo- that their work would be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. How many know that if you have somebody on your job and they're not listening to you, they're not doing the right things, that's not a benefit to them or a joy to you? Can I hear an amen from somebody? Come on, parents, employers, come on, man. This is common sense. But yet people in the church will think, oh, this is acceptable, right? Like no one's really in charge here. We all just serve Jesus. He's imaginary, so that doesn't matter anyway. We just make up our own rules while we go along here. That's honestly what I think people think about the church. But yet they'll go to the military. They'll serve in the military. They'll be in the police. They'll, they'll go to their job. They'll go to their college class. They'll do all of these things that a- actually have rules to them, actually have to work. Like, like if the electrician does not obey the electrician uh, you know, teacher and he's the apprentice or she's the apprentice, doesn't obey those things, how many know they're going to get shocked on their job? They're going to find out electricity doesn't work the way you think it should work. It's going to work the way it's supposed to work. Well, I think we should put this right over here, you know? And that's what people do in church. Well, I think he should do this. No, that's, that's the same thing. Honestly, that's like the same kind of mindset. Well, here's how it works. Here's how it works. The disciples, when they were on earth, they could pray for you, right? Like you could ask Peter to pray for you. Hey, Peter, please pray for me. Well, now they're in heaven, right? So if they're in heaven, then that means they're closer to God. So if you talk to them, they'll talk to God for you. That just all makes sense. Come on. Where does it say that in the Bible, you know? Like, I guarantee you, Carlos, if we just undid this electrical outlet right here and you just said, Joe, tell me what you think should happen here. I guarantee you whatever, you th- whatever I think should happen would hurt all of us because I'm just going to be guessing. How many know that? Well, let me just see this wire. Maybe we'll just stick that one right over there. I mean, we think about it, and it's ridiculous. Would you want a stop sign? Would you want the person installing the stop sign, uh, the, the stoplight, rather, would you want them to go wing it? No, would you want your pilot today to go do that? Like how many would, would, would like to know that today before you get on a plane, your pilot went to school and here's how school was. They would read the instructions and then they would say back to the pilot, now what does that mean to you? How do you want to fly a plane? Seriously, we've had people in Bible studies like, well, I don't see it that way because they've gone to churches that teach them a little scripture and then at the end they go, now tell us how it feels for you. What do you think about this passage? And then so they come to our Bible studies and we're teaching them. They're like, when do we get to say how it feels and what it means to us? No, do you get to do that on your job? This, this is what it means to me to fly the plane. This is what it feels like when I touch these buttons right here. So why should we take church serious? Because it's supposed to watch your soul, right? We're, we're not saying, think about this. We're not saying that the, the, the plane, inst- the flight instructor, we're not saying the flight instructor has everything perfect in their life, are we? We're able as mature adults to say, I understand that the flight instructor may have different opinions than me about politics. The flight instructor may have a marriage that I don't agree with. The flight instructor may do a zillion other things that I don't care about, but we'll have enough sense to be like, but when the flight instructor is teaching me flight instruction and I want to get my pilot's license, I need to listen to that one. When the electrician, you know, journeyman is teaching me as the apprentice, I need to listen to that person. Now, here is the one difference, and this is what I always say to my friends, and, and I say this to every single one of you here. 
We can all relate to having jobs that are hard and tough. Sometimes pastors, uh, because we get to hold the mic and talk to you every week, many pastors will take advantage of that and then just tell you how hard it is to be a pastor. And you'll be like, oh, how hard is it, pastor? Well, people hurt my feelings. Oh, that must be so hard, pastor. So we get to be up here and tell you our little sad stories. And then so people begin to believe, oh, it must be so hard to be a pastor. Let me just tell you, most pastors are weak, okay? Most pastors are insecure. Most pastors wouldn't survive on your job with the mentality they have on this job, okay? So I just want to be very honest with you. I do not believe in any way I have a harder job than you. I may face different spiritual battles than you, but I'm talking about when I come to do my job, when I come to type out my notes, when I come to speak in front of you, this is no different than our sister who's a teacher, a drill sergeant, a person given instruction like my wife did teaching bank tellers, 45-minute lecture to help bank tellers. Okay, there is nothing more difficult about that. You can do my heart rate. You can see how I feel up here. It's a, it's a great job. Can I hear an amen from everybody on this? I know I've just taken away your pity for me, and you're like, well, okay, then I'll stop pitying you. Yes, I know I've taken it away from you, and you want to feel sorry for us because we've convinced, somehow pastors have convinced the world we, we have such a hard job, but this is the thing. They haven't done roofing for 12 hours. Most of them haven't. Most pastors haven't been in the service of the military, the police, the fire department. Most pastors have not, like, oh, I have to preach two services. Have you been a public school teacher that teaches six classes a day? You know, like, they just haven't done it. Why? Because we go to school and we do our occupation. And everybody can relate to this. On your occupation, you always have those who complain and act like the job is so hard, right? You work in customer service, there's going to be people who say, this is the worst job ever. You know, you have people who work in, you know, uh, construction, they're going to make it the worst job ever. But how many know there's others who love that job? They, they get along with it. So let me just take away the, the, the mystique behind being a pastor. There is nothing there in the actual work, hands to the plow, that is different than what you do. But I want you to understand this, and this is what I always tell my friends. What I do when I am not working means more in my occupation than anybody else's occupation. I have not yet met an occupation, including high positions in the military to governmental positions to teachers that are held to the standard that I'm held to. So, for example, if your surgeon last night looked at pornography, is the hospital going to stop him from being a surgeon? If I looked at pornography last night, I cannot preach to you today. My job is now in jeopardy. Do you understand the difference? Is there anybody here that believes that the high school teacher should be fired if last night she cussed out her spouse? No. You cussed out your spouse, adults cuss. That's what life is sometimes. If I cuss out my wife or my wife cusses out me, we're done being pastors for a season. We have to sit down and be repaired. So that's the difference. See, that's the difference. There's no difference in when I write a book to when you write your book or your instruction manual. There's no difference to what you had to learn to be an expert in your thing to what I had to do. We both had to learn. We had to take tests. We have to deal with people, with customers, etc. right? We have uh, people that work in schools here. You're responsible for some of you more uh, in your school. There may be a 1,000 there, and I'm more responsible for a few hundred here, right? Like, there, there is nothing different between that. But what the difference is is how I obey the Word of God. Because notice what it says right here. It says, pray for us. Why are you praying specifically for your pastors and leaders? We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. How many want to see their pastors live honorably in every way? See, now that's what leaders do. 
Now notice this. And he says, I particularly urge that you pray that I may be restored to you because he was separated. I believe this was Paul from them at that time when he wants to come together. He's either in jail or he's on a traveling uh, excursion here. Now here's where I want to tie it together to you. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Because guess what a good leader does? They make other leaders. Come on, y'all. See, now that's my job. So, Joe, what is your job as a leader? Okay, we get it. You teach us the word. We obey you. Okay, fun. Let's go. Let's do it. Hold on. Being in this church and being under a good leader does not stop with you now just obeying the commands I teach you. Because let's be honest, many of you have even testified here, Joe, I didn't know these commands until I came here. And how many are grateful I taught you some commands from the Bible? Like, here's how we obey the Bible, right? But guess what? It doesn't stop with me. One of my commands is to teach you how to teach others the commands. Just hold the space right here and go back to Matthew 28, 19. Everybody get this. Jesus is giving the apostles a command. What is the command? Go teach people my commands. Does everybody see that? Just check it out make sure you see it. Jesus is speaking. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey every command. So what is a part of every command is teaching them to now teach every command. Don't let it go over your head. It's pretty simple. Okay? One of the commands is to teach people how to teach the commands. So me teaching you the commands is not just all these thou shall nots and all these things to do good in your life. And okay, pastor, you did a great job. You taught me the commands. I can be a great husband. I can be a great wife. I can do all that. Thank you, pastor. No, because then I fail. One of my commands that God has commanded me, because I'm receiving this scripture, is to now teach you how to teach others. Let's just pause here because I got some blank stares, but how many are still getting it? It's for a few of you that I think may not be getting it or you're just tired. Well, I got time for you. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Help the preacher preach. Otherwise, we'll be here till 3. How many feel like we could be here till 3 and you would still enjoy it? Half of you? Okay, amen. I don't want to ever do it because, like, it's torture. I want to do it because we love it. But every now and then I got to tease like that. But the reason why I tease like that is because I'm not just a like a uh, public speaker. I'm a communicator. I want you to understand what I'm communing to you. That's why uh, communicating. That's why I always ask you, do you understand? Everybody say amen. One time I had a high school teacher um, take me out to lunch, and he was uh, talking with me about how my style was. And he's like, man, that's really engaging how you do that because you continually make us think about what you're saying. Now, every now and then you'll meet a preacher that's amen, amen, amen. They're just on an amen train. Every other word is amen. It's like an uh for them. Instead of saying uh, they go amen, amen, amen. Amen. And then it almost makes me sound like they're doubting themselves. So they always needed you to tell them amen so they believe it even more. So like they can get their amen power meter higher. I don't have enough amen, so I don't have enough power yet. Keep saying amen. Boop, beep, 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 boop. And they're like, yeah, full power. I, wanna, I want you to get this. So I'm showing you this in another place. Scroll down just a few verses. Stay in verse 9. Ephesians chapter 4 says what the five-fold ministry is going to do. Those that are going to work in leadership. 
It says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the earthly region? So as God ascended to heaven, he also went to the uh, Sheol, the place of the grave, and defeated death and hell, okay? And Satan there. Now look at verse 10. He who descended, talking about Jesus, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. That means he ascended and went to heaven in order to fill the whole universe. So now God the Son is over our universe as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He became a man so that he might have the rulership of David. Okay, now, but look at this. Verse 11, this is key. So Christ himself gave the what? Let's say it together. The what? Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Now, notice this is what comes next. To have conferences and sell books to everybody? No. no. To, to be everybody's motivational speaker? No. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So my job is to get you to do your job. Think about it. My work is to get you to go to work. So being a Christian is not just listening to your leaders and let them lead you. It's also listening to them to follow their example and to do what they did. Let's show it again, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders. Remember them. It also is speaking about a remembrance of imitation. Remember that the leader is an imitator of Christ, and you are to imitate the leader as they're leading on behalf of Christ. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and do what with their faith? Imitate their faith. If no one can say, follow me as I follow Christ, then the church has lost its power. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. You have to get that. So, so where did I come from? I came from the apostles who taught the, uh, the disciples, that taught the disciples, that taught the disciples, that someone taught me. And now I'm teaching you. So what did Paul say to them in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? Follow my example as I follow the example of who? Of Christ. Thank you. So now can you say that to somebody else? You should. Parents should be saying that to their children. Follow me as I follow Christ. You should be saying that to people on your job. You should be going into the world teaching them to obey the commands of God. Now, let's go back to where we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So if you're going to teach the Word of God, if you're going to want others to imitate you as you understand the Word of God, then you have to know the Word of God. You can't give something to somebody that you don't have. Could I give you a million dollars right now? I can't because I don't have it. You could say please all day long. My wife could say please. It doesn't matter. I don't have it. Can I give anybody here a Lamborghini? No. Let me just answer these for you out loud just to help you. Okay, no. No. I can't because I don't have it. Could I give you a mansion? And all God's people said no because I don't have a mansion. But could I give you $5? Yes, I could give you because I have $5. Could I give you a ride in my car? Yes, because I have a car. Do you understand it? I can't give you what I don't have. Now, if you want to be a leader and you want to be like somebody who the Bible tells you to be like, the disciple, well, then you need to be a disciple that now makes disciples. So to do that, you got to have what disciples have. Well, what do disciples have? They have the Word of God. And the Word of God has to be to them above everything else. So that means if you talk to a Christian about any subject, they need to clarify to you what they think versus what the Word of God says. 
So if you're on a talk show, like you've seen some of our pastors get called up there, John MacArthur and others, like on Larry King I'm thinking about, and they ask you, what happens to homosexuals when they die? You don't act like Joe Lostein and say, well, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I like a lot of homosexuals. They're my friends. No, that's not what you say because they don't want to hear your opinion. You could say your opinion and be like, hey, you know, I think they're nice and this, this, and that. But that's not what Larry King is asking a Christian for, their opinion. What the world is asking you for is what does the word of God say? And you would have to say, according to the word of God, those who practice homosexuality shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's passages you take them to. So it's the same thing about the gender. They want to ask you about gender. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I love when Christians in media have answered back and said, well, it doesn't matter what I think, Oprah. It doesn't matter what I think, Larry. It's what God says. If you want to know what I think, it's like me trying to put together that electrical box right now as not being an electrician. I'll make a mess out of the whole thing. But what I can tell you is what God says. And that's where you got to become experts in God's word. Because now if you, re if you rely on me, what are you basically saying? You're, you're saying you're only as strong as my ability to communicate something to you is. So you're dependent on me. So if my pastor didn't tell me, if he didn't explain it to me or, you know, come with me everywhere I'm going and, and write it down on a piece of paper, then I don't have any authority. But that's not what Jesus told me to do. Jesus didn't tell me to make you, com uh, you know, committed to me, to be dependent upon me. The Bible taught me to teach you how to feed yourself the word of God, you to get off the bottle and how to have steak in front of you, cut it up and eat it and go, mm, that's good, and now serve it up to other people. Do I have to come to your house and cook your food today? No, then I shouldn't have to come to your house to teach the word of God today. Who's going to teach the word of God in your house? You are. Hello, do I need to go to your job and work your job for you today? No. Well, then you shouldn't need me to go preach to your neighbor today or your coworker today. You see, when you start to look at it like that, you'll understand where our roles are at. My role is to teach you how to go and do that. And someone had to teach me because I didn't know it, right? So even if something happens to me, God forbid something happens to me, it doesn't make it any less true. It just continues on to whoever picks up the baton. You think about it in the time of war, they would hold up the standard or their flag. If the guy holding up the flag gets shot, somebody else has to pick up that flag. We're marching forward. And so today, here I am, 46 years old, 2023. I've been a Christian and, and you know, serving God almost 30 years. Okay, that's awesome. That's, pastor's a great pastor. Thank you for everything you said. Okay, but what if tomorrow I start selling my body for hits of fentanyl on Belmont and Clark to men in homosexuality? You know, what if I start becoming a homosexual prostitute for fentanyl? Is that going to change the word of God? I know that's quite a vivid imagination that I have here and gave you that illustration. It could have been anything, you know. I could have been a gangster. But here I am all twisted up, you know, wearing, wearing some booty shorts, selling my body. Like, I just want you to think about it. Like, what if Pastor went to be wild? What if he went off? What if he started appearing on RuPaul's drag show competition? You know what I'm saying? I used to be a pastor. Now I'm doing drag show. I feel so free. And that's me over there, okay? Does that change anything that's right here? It doesn't change one thing. Just like today, it doesn't matter who is serving up your meal. you got to eat. You've got to get fed. If they serve up a bad meal at the restaurant you're going to, you're not like, oh, man, that means I'm never going to eat again. You're going to be like, okay, forget that restaurant. I'm still eating today. I'm going to get fed. You're going to secure your nutrition. You're going to do that. Well, you got to do the same thing with the Word of God. Now, thank God for pastors who have longevity. And by God's grace, I'm already halfway there here. I mean, come on, let's be honest. I don't think I'm going to live much longer than 80, 90 years. I'm halfway there. 
I know you don't want to believe it. You want to wheel me up here. Here he is, 110 years old, our pastor. He lifts up everybody, you know. I remember when, you know. No, man, like, like seriously, like I, I, it, I got that revelation one day because um, I think I was out preaching somewhere and they just messed with me so much. You know, you just come back, you're like angry, hurt, upset, and you're just like, why do I even do this? I love my family. I love my house. I love my church. I do not need to be with those wicked sinners on their way to hell, you know. But then the Lord just told me, this is the illustration he gave me. Number one, love them because I've loved you. So he just broke my heart down. It's like, I got to love them. I got to serve them. I can't let them get me angry. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, don't let a man bring you so so low as to hate him, okay? So if you notice that, if you're ever doing ministry, even pastors feel like, because sometimes you're just like, you know, the, the, the sons of thunder, you know, James and John, and you're just like, Jesus, they didn't want it. Bring down that fire now on them. And Jesus is like, whoa, slow up, guys, slow up. The horse ain't coming down yet. We're not bringing judgment yet. They still have some time, you know? But we ready for Sodom and Gomorrah sometimes, aren't we, Joe B? Aren't we We're just ready? Bring Sodom and Gomorrah right now, Jesus. Right now would be nice. So I was dealing with my heart, and God fixed it, but then he gave me an illustration because this was for me with all my gray hair and getting older, right? Here it is, is God said to me, you know, because I was thinking about on a plane, he gave me this illustration. He said, if you're on a plane and you're sitting next to somebody you don't really like and it hasn't been fun, what do you tell yourself? I'm going to jump off the plane right now? Like, hey, guys, I don't like this person. Open up that door. I'm jumping out. Like, no, that's, not, that's a suicidal thought. You wouldn't think that. that. Most people don't think that. What you would say to yourself is, I can do this and make it to the end because when this plane lands, I don't have to be with this person anymore. I'm going on with people who like me and I get along with. Can I hear an amen to somebody that's rode the bus, a plane, or been anywhere you didn't get along, okay? And you know what the Lord said to me? That's your life. You're halfway through right now. Don't let them get you to stop because you're going to land and you're going to be in my home pretty soon. Come on, somebody. We're all going to get home pretty soon, sooner, some sooner than others. You know, we're praying for you and your family. And here's a word that I had for you, and I'll just share this right now. You're not the little girl that the devil could beat up and discourage you before. You're now a warrior, and you're going to fight every attack of your emotions and your feelings with the power of God. Amen? And you'll be an example to your family. I just wanted to share that with you because I felt that in my heart. You're not that scared little girl anymore. You are a mighty woman of God. And what I share with a lot of times with people like Lauren, she was testifying during the pastor appreciation about cancer. Let's sing a hymn. You know, let's go hard for God here. Is if you know Jesus in the good days, he'll even be sweeter in the bad days. It's those who try to put together a relationship with God while they're going through hell on earth. He's still good, and he'll show up. And I'm thankful for people who, who get to know him like that. But that's where it's always like, I don't understand, I don't understand. When you find out that people have been walking with the Lord, they trust God to give peace beyond their own understanding. Because you're already used to trusting him where you don't understand. A lot of times people, they, they have to let go and let God. But if you've been a Christian, you've gone through some things, you get it. Like, I'm not the boss here. God is the boss. He doesn't have to make me understand something for me to have peace today. And the Bible literally says he gives us peace that transcends our understanding. Praise God. Now, looking back at this, we understand it's the word of God that's going to make all the difference when we preach and teach. And you have to learn how to feed it to yourself. So you need to know what it is, first of all. Number one, it's God's breathe. Look at it. All scripture is what? 
God breathed. That means when we look to the Bible, we're seeing the breath of God, theanoustos in the Greek. It's the breath of God. This is the inspiration for us to live our lives. Now, I could go into a whole discussion of how we believe the Word of God is perfect, how we believe there's nothing like the Bible, and I could explain to you uh, all the prophecies, and I could also contradict those who think we have contradictions. I love doing that. Well, I've seen contradictions in the Bible. Well, let me just contradict your contradictions right now. Can I do that? And then other times they're like, well, I doubt that. I doubt that. Well, let me help you. I doubt your doubts. Oh, come on, y'all. You got to know how to put the skeptic back in their place because they just think they're so smart on that history channel. And, oh, I just just doubt this happened. Well, I doubt you right now. You're doubting that, and I'm doubting you. How do you like that? We're just going to doubt each other right now, okay? Or they're just like, oh, it's a book written by men. Yes, because we believe books are written by men, not elephants. You guys have heard that one before. Who do you want to write our book? You know, it's going to be by men, right? And then, well, men make mistakes. Well, not here. Show me one. You know, and then they'll try to say, well, people have changed it. How would you know they have changed it unless you had our manuscripts? Our manuscripts show the change, correct the change, and produce the truth that we have today. So you wouldn't know there was a change unless you had two manuscripts. Are you guys understanding that? That's actually a good problem because now you can figure out which one is the true manuscript. And that's what we do as theologians, and we spend our time doing that. And even the ones that, that do all that research tell you 99.99% of the Bible is without error, even in those areas. The way the places that we do have errors or mistakes of human intention and, and different what we call variants do not change any doctrine. It's not like there was one place where it was like, Jesus was an alien. Oh, no, we put God here. Jesus was God. But it really was, he was an alien. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was an alien. It's, it's not like those kind of mistakes are there. Or Jesus went to Egypt, and then he came back. Or the other one is like, Jesus then went to Egypt, stayed there for 15 years, learned the magical arcs of the, uh, the magical art of the pyramids, and then came back with the power of the gods of Egypt, right? I'm telling you, people will say that. They say, there's a variant there. There's, men have changed it. No. And one of the good things about our manuscripts is that they've been buried for a long time. So we oftentimes find them in places that the Roman Catholic Church never knew they were there. Because remember, we talked about the Roman Catholic Church before. There's a lot of things that people put on that to say they changed the word of God. And they didn't. But even if they did, how would they do something there that we didn't uh, take up from the ground until 1940? How many know that's kind of hard to do? Well, they went there and they buried the changes and they put them back down there so you would find them. No, I mean, now we're just getting stupid, right? If I find something in 1948 that's been buried there for 2,000 years, I can now trust that more than whatever Roman Catholic Diane Brown Da Vinci Code conspiracy you came up with on the History Channel after smoking some weed watching ancient aliens, okay? We're a little bit more well-equipped than that. So the scriptures God breathed. Was it written down by men? Yes. God breathed his inspiration to people, and they wrote it down. The way I look at it is people are inspired by a lot of things when they do art and, and write down things. Right now I'm doing a fictional work. You know, it's my first book. After 20 books, it's going to be fictional. It's going to be small. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll just think I'm a nerd, and that's okay. But I'm inspired by C.S. Lewis. I'm inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. I'm inspired by a little bit of Marvel comics. Okay, so my inspiration to create something came from those ways. Now, ultimately, as a Christian, I think God is inspiring me, but I don't think that it's perfect and it's, and it's excellence like the Word of God. But now put yourself in the apostles' positions or the people writing Scripture. They're getting inspired. Where's their inspiration coming from? God's breath. 
And then what does God do for that writing that he doesn't do at other times? He perfects it and he brings the beauty and the truth forth in his word that he hasn't done anywhere else. Now, sometimes people say, what does that now mean? Everything Paul did with Scripture or everything that the prophets did with Scripture. No. How many know that Paul talked and wrote more than just what we see here? How many know that? We have other letters that he even mentions in the letters, okay? And so God preserved what he wanted for the Scripture. That doesn't mean Paul was just walking around speaking King James like Shakespeare, quoting Scripture all the time. Paul wasn't like that. But when Paul wrote what God told him to write, there it is. Now, at the end of the day, you have a choice. So I can't convince you more than what I'm telling you now that this is God's Word. Like, I can give you more facts behind it, but the this, this general truth is still going to remain the same. God spoke to people People wrote it down. Well, prove it to me. Okay, here's some prophecies. I don't believe that. Okay, here's some beauty. I think it's ugly. Okay, here's some teachings that will change your life. It didn't work for me. Okay, if you want to go to hell with the devil and not believe in the Bible, that's now up to you. Did everybody get that? You can believe in your Bible. You can believe in Beyonce's lyrics or Taylor Swift's lyrics and live your life by that. Because how many know everybody's going to live by another man's opinion of things? Whether it's their own opinions or Taylor Swift's opinions or Beyonce's opinions or their science teacher's opinions. And let me just tell you, science is not what you think it is. The Word of God gives the basis for science. You couldn't do science without the Word of God. And I've taught you this before. Let me just share this real quick because I, I mentioned it. When people say, well, I'll, find, I'll, I'll follow the science, you follow the faith. Okay, well, where did your science come from? Right? You have to explain that to them. Where did the universe come from that your scientist is, is doing his, his work in? Your scientist didn't create the universe and now do work within the universe. He's doing the work within somebody's universe that he didn't create. Does everybody get that? So we're all going to come back down to our beliefs and our assumptions. I believe there is a God. I don't believe that we came from nothing. I believe we came from a person, God, the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many believe that? I believe that because I've seen that and I, I know that he has spoken in these words. I have believed it based on the evidence that I have. The faith that some people have is like blind faith throwing a quarter in a wishing well, and that's not the word of God. The word of God is based on God's evidence. Let me just show you that real quick. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. We've already been there. But remember when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Does everybody remember that? Do you know why he obeyed? It wasn't just because, oh, I hear a voice, I'm going to obey. Because remember, some people say they have, hear voices and then they uh, kill their children. God have mercy, right? And sometimes people say, well, that's the same thing that religious people do. You say you hear voices and you do crazy stuff. So look at Abraham. He hears a voice and now he wants to kill his child. That's crazy. No, no, no. Understand this. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what he says here, by faith, verse 9. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city whose foundation is architect and builder is God. Somebody say God. Amen. He is following God. Now continue on down here, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a what? Sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now look at verse 19. Abraham what? Abraham what? Reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So notice, God doesn't just show up to him and say, kill everybody, let's make you a mass murderer. 
No, God says to him, I'm going to bless you with an inheritance. I'm going to bless your children's children's children. You're going to be a mighty nation. I'm going to do mighty works in your life. Like, this is going to be amazing. Now he gets this son, Isaac, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him. Does Abraham say to himself, I guess I'm just killing my child today, never having a child again? No, he reasoned, hmm, if God gave me this child out of a promise that I would have many children after him and now is asking me to sacrifice him, the only way this would be reasonable, the only way it would make sense is if after I did it, he raised him from the dead. So he went to the sacrifice with a reasonable expectation of who God was. God was not a murderer to him. God was someone who would keep his promise. The very God who gave him Isaac would raise Isaac from the dead if that's how the plan works. So faith is not irrational or unreasonable. It is not outside of reason. Reason comes from God himself. What is faith in contradiction towards? Human reasoning. Human way of thinking, our ways are not his ways. When we say that, that doesn't mean our ways are super smart and reasonable and he's just out there with Casper the ghost make make believe come true. That's not what the Bible says. Our ways are not his ways. What it's teaching us is our ways are limited in reason. So the scientist looks at a microscope, but he can't go to the beginning of that molecule. He's limited. We look at a telescope for the end of the creation. We can't see it, let alone go back in time to see the beginning. Are you guys with me? It's ever-expanding from that point. So the Bible is not teaching us that what we do is like reason, and then what God does is like make-believe. No, God's Word teaches us that what both of us do in the image of God, God and man together, is reason together. You reason with God. So going back to 2 Timothy 3.16, if the scripture is God-breathed and you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then that means you have to be able to reason through the word of God to understand it. How many want to understand the word of God? Amen. So if homosexuality is a sin, according to the word of God, do we just go, well, that's this, what he says, and I believe it, and that's, I just walk by blind faith. You can do that, but is that what he's expecting you to do? No, he wants you to love him with your mind. Okay, so let's just think about it. Why wouldn't homosexuality be good for God's creation? First of all, you will have no more babies. How about that? Didn't God make sexual organs for reproduction? Hello? I'm just asking you that question. So sexual, reper- uh, excuse me, sexual organs, first, uh, uh, the first priority is not pleasure. The sexual organ is given to a man and a woman for reproduction. Can you put a man's reproduction into another man's exit point of bi- uh, his, bi- his waist and make a baby? How many know I'm trying to keep this PG? Okay, and I'm just... I'm not going to say what women would be trying to do, but you, you cannot get a baby if there is no seed in that, okay? There's no seed. In that. Now, is that reasonable? That's, that's reasonable. You get to, to do the act is irreasonable, but I'm saying, did we just perform reason right here? If God gave me, let's, let's, let's use electricity. We're talking about electricity. So there you got a plug right there. You got an outlet and you got the plug. They call this male and female, and oftentimes, right, male and female. The female receives, the the male gives, right? That's reasonable. If you want seed in a womb, you have to have a male and a female. That makes perfect sense to me. 
Here's another one that's in our hot topic today. We go to the Word of God, and they get all upset, and they say, we're being irrational. No, man, we're looking at reason. If God made us male and female, then that would mean if our body is one way and our mind is another way, we think we're in the wrong body, what would we want to change, our mind or our body? Change your mind. Why? Because changing your body will not change your mind. You don't change the mind through the body. Like it's I, how people don't get this. It shows you the stupidity that we're dealing with in our modern world. It's common sense though, right? So, and, and, that, and that's why when we bring up to them the other examples, well, what about people who think they're animals? They're changing their bodies to animals. Literally happening right now. People are literally thinking they are animals. What about those who think they are still children when they are adults? There are some with diapers defecating on themselves. This is not just wild things that Christians say to get you to think how wild LGBT stuff is. No, this is literally where it leads. You don't believe your body is right to your mind, and you follow the path of changing your body to fit your mind. You will be like a guy who just spent $20,000 on having a professional dog suit for him to be put around in the park. That has happened. And we all know that something there is not right. But the other one, oh, but the man, the woman, you know, you, you start off in the, the womb and you share a lot of these things at the beginning. The DNA is similar, the, the XY chromosome, you know, they'll get all deep in that. But the bottom line is when the body has decided its gender, when the body has been made a certain way and the mind no longer corresponds with it, does changing that body change the mind? It doesn't. That's why even now today as it's gotten more popularized, there's an entire exit of that co- people leaving that community and they want to silence them because they got a surgery. They took the hormones and it did not change their mind. And now they're warning, don't do this to our children. It didn't work for me. It messed me up even more. And then they show the suicide rate still three to six times higher among that community than any other community. So obviously it has to be in the mind. Okay, just one more example right here. Can something come from nothing? No. So whatever started this universe was not nothing. But every time they go into science class, they tell them about a big bang. And then we ask them, what banged and who banged it? Unless you're talking make-believe right now where things bang themselves out of nothing. Last time I checked, the entire universe was based on the principle from nothing, nothing came. So do you understand? They, they, they want to make you seem irrational. Oh, yeah. And like God, like the tooth fairy. No, I believe in like God, like how you believe in a watchmaker, how you believe in the Ford car, auto, you know, auto factory. Like I believe in God, like how you believe in science. Something comes from something, not nothing. And it's, and, they, and it's the same old thing back in the day. We've already explained this to them a thousand times, but the Bible says it's not a head issue, it's a heart issue. If you found a watch on the seashore, would you say, wow, a, a watch factory blew up 10,000 years ago and evolved to this Rolex right here? Would you say that? Would you say that to yourself? Never. You would never say that to yourself. But yet you look at the human brain, more capable of electrical connections and thoughts per second than any computer in the entire world. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we go, oh, yeah, that's from the goo through the zoo to you, baby. That's how that happened. And then, we, and then seriously, we as Christians ask them, as scientists, we have many, many Christian scientists who stand with me on this. And we just say to them, show me these steps, dude. Show me the tadpole, you know, you kiss it, and now it becomes a prince. Show me how that works, because last time I checked, that was called fairy tales. Literally, like my great ancestor was a fish, and now I'm here today talking to you eating fish. 
you have to say more than just, I drew a picture and I showed you a hunched over man and then the hunched over man stood up like this. You have to do more than that, okay? You have to explain it and they can't. They always put in the blanks. They always put in the blanks. We will figure it out. And since Darwin's day, they have not figured it out. Not only that, those blanks, those gaps as we call them, have gotten greater and greater. They say, oh, you have a lot of similarity with you and the apes and all that. The difference between us and an ape is immensely different. And the more we study DNA, the more we study what makes us different than an ape, it is so complicated that if you change one of those chromosomes, one of those things of the DNA, you totally, dis- uh, you, you totally discourage or um, you extinguish an entire race of beings, okay? Like an animal that has one little thing wrong with it will not survive in the wild. And you're saying, well, all these little changes happened over millions of years. One change of that magnitude wouldn't last. The child would be born or the, uh, the animal would be born deformed and not live. And yet they want you to trust them. Well, just trust me, bro. Trust me. No, I ain't trusting you. I'm going to the Word of God. Because the word of God is God breathed. And God said he made us male and female. So that means man and woman were created in the image of God with a special dominion over the earth to have over these animals. We and the animals are not the same in our, uh, in, in our origin. The animals came in their general form. Here's a dog. You can breed them a hundred different ways. You'll have a hundred different dog kinds, etc. That's That's how they were created. Mankind was created in the image of God to have dominion. And whenever, everybody think about this, when Whenever we believed that somehow there were stages of our evolution, racism, slavery, and genocide was quick to follow. Study the motivations of the Japanese in World War II. It was the same motivation of the of the Nazis. The moment adopting what we would call evolutionary ethics, they began to think their race was the most superior. Japan thought they were a more superior race. Think about it from their point of view. They have less hair, so they're less like an animal. Did everybody get that? Does everybody get that? That was their argument. You mean you may not agree with them. That's their argument. See, look at you, dude. You have so much hair. We don't have as much hair. We're not as close to the animals. Well, that was the same thing of the racist. Well, if we came from monkeys, which one of us here looks more like a monkey in the skin color and the hair texture? And that's why they started putting Literally, look at it, human zoos. They started putting people from Africa in the zoo with the apes and said there are the same people. And Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenist who believed that's how you rid the world of crime and disease is you take the higher superior races, and Darwin believed that as well. Find the original cover for Darwin's work. You'll see the, the, the promulgation of the superior races. That's what he even put in his title. Now they don't want to talk to you about that. They want to tear down statues of, of explorers. Why not tear down every Planned Parenthood and the eugenists? Why not tear down everything that Darwin did? Darwin's up in Oxford. Tear that racist down. Because what they did is they just looked at the outside. And it wasn't just towards the African Americans. It was also towards the gypsies and other people. Those who have longer noses are more similar to an animal in this way. The eugenists literally believed it so much that they thought the more you looked at humans, the more you would see the speciesization. Why? Because they had to explain how we all came from animals. When you look at what God's word tells us, God tells us there's one race, the human race. Amen? I know I went off a little bit there, but I pray it encourages you. Thank you. Go ahead and show them this right here. Uh, uh, Darwin, just so you don't think I'm making it up here. I need the inside track right here. Yeah, origin of species, the means of natural selection. This is what I need right here. Click on this one, please. The origin of species by means of natural selection, preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. There's your scientific hero right there. How many like hearing that? 
But that's taught in schools. We're made to look like Darwin was an amazing person. Darwin looked at finches, these birds right here, and said, oh, wow, if you have a smaller, uh, bigger uh, uh, beak, that means that you have to uh, get through harder nuts. And if you have a longer, thinner beak, that means you have to get through soft fruits. So the same finches have different beaks shows that we came from the goo through the zoo to you. That's all he observed. This is all he observed right there. Different beaks on birds. What does that tell any thinking, reasonable person? Is that there can be changes within a species of animals to fit their environment. That's it. That doesn't say that a bird came from a banana over 10,000 million years of evolution. Do you, do you understand that? We as Christians believe that God gives the gift to every animal, including us, with darker skin, darker hair, whatever, to adapt to our surroundings. How many know that the Swedish people are not going to last very long in the Sahara Desert? Okay, how many understand that? How many know that over time the Swedish people are going are, are to go black and not go back, and they're going to start finding themselves some African queens and kings to start mating with so that their children can last a little bit? And then you're going to have a middle brown. Can I hear an amen for that? This, I'm giving you science class today. And then you're going to have a middle brown. So guess what we think Adam and Eve were? Adam and Eve were probably middle brown. And those who migrated to more hotter climates became more darker brown because nobody's truly black or white. So darker brown. And then those who went to lighter climates where you don't want as much melatonin or whatever, you don't want as much darkness in your skin and all of that, you're going to be in lighter climates. And, that's, and by the way, they all say the same. We, here's the thing with us as evolutionists. We agree with them on everything except the origin of where it all started. They agree with the same reason why humans change over time. They understand that that's all that happened there, but yet now they want to say that means the bird came from the dinosaur. That's the latest thing they want to say. Now go back to the Word of God, please. Enough of that. How many want the Word of God? Study science, but do it through the Word of God. In closing here, this is, I haven't even got to all the points, man. Show them I have a chart, dude. I had a chart I wanted to get to. Just go back to the notes, please. See, I had that chart. Everybody go, oh, I had a chart I wanted to get to. I got to get to that chart, man. That's an amazing chart. Will someone come to the keyboard, please help land this plane here? I don't know what I'm going to be talking about next. Holy Ghost, help me. Going back to uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, okay? Scripture is God-breathed. And the reason why I spend time doing this, you guys can go to Answers in Genesis. It's a great place. They do all the science and the work there, and you can listen to their debates. It's been going on and on forever. It's it's not going to stop anytime soon, okay? But where you and I live and how we're going to do this, live this Christianity out, is we've got to start with the Word of God and say, I trust it. I'm trusting this. Real quick, not to get too much in-depth to the science again, but put up there, uh, Brother Einstein's Great Blunder. So, uh, yeah, put up there Einstein's Great Blunder and go to the Wikipedia page, Einstein's Blunder. We take for granted that now science says there was a beginning and that is now known as the Big Bang, okay? I just know who banged it, right? But before that discovery where they said, look at how far we've gone out and we've gone out like an ice cream cone, like this expansion. So they said, if we've gone out like this, then that must mean we must have come from this point as a, as a point. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay. Albert Einstein did not believe that. Albert Einstein was the smartest person on the planet at that, at that time. How many think Albert Einstein is pretty smart? Would you want to debate him on this subject? No. Like, I, man, I don't even know where to start. He's going to start putting math up there. And as we were talking about before, if you don't trust people, they can lead you astray. You know, like E equals MC squared. He could put like 
He could put like XYZ equals M to the 30th something, and I don't even know what I'm looking at. I'm like, ooh, that's amazing, you know? How many could be duped by a pretty smart scientist because you don't understand science that much? I could. Like, you could put numbers up there. I wouldn't even understand it, okay? So I want you to think about this. Einstein believed in a static universe, okay? So that means he did not believe there was a beginning. Now, look at this math right here. You see this symbol? How many even knew there was a symbol like that in math? I didn't even know that symbol existed. So once again, somebody could put that symbol on a piece of paper and say, if you don't know that, you're stupid. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I guess I'm stupid. You just show the math equation. You zoomed it up a little bit too much. See whatever this is? This is like that upside down V equals 1 slash R2 equals KP dash 2. How many are down with that? You down with that? I don't even know what that is. Where did, you, where did that even go, brother? There we go. Let's stop moving it now, please, before, before I forget where I'm at. Just highlight this. Does anybody know what this means? Okay. I have no idea what that means. Okay. Now, this is what Einstein did. And from what you're now going to see, following the discovery by Edwin Hubble of a linear relation between the red shifts of the galaxies and their distance. So galaxies left behind a red shift, like the light particles were like shifting. It's like, kind of like how I move my hand. If I do it and you record it on a camera, you can see the motion of it like this. So the, the galaxies are moving away from us. And as they're moving away, their light is leaving these particles. I know that at least, okay? So that's called the red shifts of the galaxy and their distance. Einstein abandoned his static model of the universe right here when he saw this in the telescope. And this was called his biggest blunder. Now, my point in saying this is, now you can zoom that equation in really big for me, please. I want you to now imagine you are a Christian. You're in Einstein's class. Einstein says to you, I don't think the universe has a beginning. And you go, well, I think it does. It says in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That means it always wasn't there. So now highlight it, please. And then he writes on the board this right here, and he goes, you know what? This proves that the universe is constant. What do you do now? I don't know anything about that, Einstein, right? Wouldn't you have to be honest? Maybe you're pretty smart. You're going to argue with him, but I'm just telling you, I'm in a class of his. Maybe I'm taking science 101. And he says, well, psh, you have the Bible. I have this, right? Now think about what Christians have gone through throughout the years. Now thank God for Christian scientists, and we've led these ways. But every now and then, right, there's a time where it looks like we're losing Looks like maybe we're a little bit behind. What would you do? This is what I would do. Not being ignorant, I would say, you know what? I don't know anything about that. But God's word is God breathed. And I believe in this Bible. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust this. And I'm going to learn about what you're talking about because I'm open to it. I'm open to hear whatever you have to say there. But I'm going to trust that at some point God's word is going to be proven true in this situation. Because God said it. And God was very clear that the universe had a beginning. And then lo and behold, not by a miracle, but by another scientist, he says, hey, Einstein, come check this out. Look at this. And Einstein now looks in his telescope and goes, yeah, I see it. You see it? Yeah, I see it. You see him shifting? Yeah, yeah. 
That means they weren't always steady. There wouldn't be a, if they were just planted there and they've always been there, there wouldn't be all this motion, this fact that they're moving away from us. See how they're moving away? That means they once were closer to us. Oh, okay. You see, now, when Albert Einstein said that was my biggest blunder, did that now make the Bible more true? No, the Bible was true with or without Einstein ever realizing what had happened. So right now, brothers and sisters, we may be in certain battles where we can't convince the world as much as they want to be convinced. Prove to me there's a heaven. Prove to me there's a soul. Prove to me there's this. One day we might be able to find it on some type of skeptometer type thing. Yeah, we might be able to find your soul. Right now I can't show you your soul in an EKG or MRI or whatever. But the Bible says you have one. Hello, how many are still believing this? And you're going to hold on to it, not blindly, but reasonably. Going, you know what? If God said it, there's going to be evidence of it. I'll wait as long as I can, as long as I'm on earth. I'll try to wait for it. But I'm not waiting to believe this or not. In the meantime, let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will remain the same forever. Now going back to that 2 Timothy as we get ready to close out, it's God breathed. And what is it useful for? Teaching. Albert Einstein didn't know when he was talking about a steady state universe, he just backed up the problem one more thing. Dude, if, if you don't have a universe that had a beginning and it's been here the whole time, then how has it been here the whole time? Like, just, it just exists on its own? Right? Like he didn't understand the implications with that. But when I teach the universe has a beginning, I can teach it also has an end. I can teach that God has a purpose from it from beginning to end. He's the alpha and the omega. You see how that fits into my teaching now? Y'all figure it out in the science lab, but I'm going to keep teaching that the world has a beginning, that he made us male and female. He made us to multiply upon the earth. He made us to obey his commands. His commands are a joy unto our lives. They bless our social uh, order and our communities. And then we're going to rebuke. We're going to rebuke others. Not with a closed mind, because sometimes people are like, well, that's when they believed the earth was flat. No, the Bible never taught the earth was flat. That was people misinterpreting it. But the Bible's clear it has a beginning. The Bible's clear there's male and female. The Bible's clear that murder is wrong. So I'm going to rebuke those who are breaking God's commands and then correct them and tell them this is where you are wrong. See, if I was to debate with Albert Einstein, I wouldn't have any idea how to correct his math, but I could tell, tell him if there's not a beginning and there is no end, how does everything I see have beginnings and ends? How does the universe itself have no beginning and end, but everything entirely in this universe has a beginning and an end? He would have no explanation for that. I would then correct him and say, how about this? We have a beginning and an end, and the universe has a beginning and an end. And just like how you have a start and a finish, this universe has a start and a finish. And you know why sometimes in this world you don't feel right? Even in your own skin, sometimes you're your worst enemy. You want to know why sometimes you look at the world and you see all the evil and all the problems? It's because we are a part of the problem. And God is going to fix it and bring back a new world, a new universe, a new heavens and earth. And there's hope beyond the scope of what we see here. We're not just here to be in a static universe. We're here to be in God's presence, to live and move and have our being in Him. There's a purpose even in our pain that God turns all things for our good. And that if we seek Him, we will find Him. 
That's why when I hear about these young people in colleges and they're in despair and suicide is up again since, uh, since COVID and all these people on their medications and it's not changing and then they go to counselors and I don't say this to mock counselors, but counselors need counselors. They have one of the highest rates of suicide. And I ask them, what is the correction? Where do we correct our course? Because if the drugs would have fixed it, there is enough Xanoff and, and all of these, Xanax rather, and all of these drugs out there to make us all happy. Why hasn't it fixed it? It's because we haven't corrected course back towards God. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want the truth about your world? You go to Jesus. You want the life of God, the joy of God? You go to Jesus. You want the light of the world? You're tired of being in darkness? You go to Jesus. And then lastly, look at what the Word of God does, brothers and sisters. It trains us in righteousness. Well, man, okay, I, I think I believe what you're saying, Pastor, but it's so hard. It's so hard. You come back to the Word of God like you would a trainer, and you let the Word of God train you how to keep His Word. I didn't quit smoking in one day, but I did quit smoking eventually. I didn't quit looking at pornography in one day, but I did quit it eventually. I didn't become sinless the day I met Jesus, but I have sinned less every day I've been with Him. You learn how to hate your sin and turn towards God. Now, there are some things I was delivered from instantly, and I still believe in the miracle of deliverance. But I even say to my friends who are deliverance ministers, why can't you deliver people out of the spirit of stupid? Because there's still a lot of stupid Christians out there. There's a lot of foolish Christians. There's a lot of stupid behavior. There's another man, like I said, he just got exposed this weekend of his sinful behavior, and I hope it's not true, but if it is, it's going to be exposed like everybody else's. How come he didn't get delivered from his, his, uh, his private part needing pleasure from someone other than his wife? Why? Why can't you deliver somebody from that, you know? Isn't it somehow preachers, they always fall with sexuality? It's like gals are gold. Why can't you deliver men from greed and from perversion? Why? Because there's some things that you don't get delivered from, you get trained out of. Are you listening? There are things you get trained out of. My body, if you put me into some type of weird scenario, torture chamber, as much as I love my wife, if you bug out, you know, like bugged out my eyes and made me look at pornography and put uh, uh, things on me to see if I get stimulated, I'm sure I would. And if you don't want a pastor like that, you can go play with one that does make-believe. But you want to know how I train myself to not give in to my lust, how I haven't looked at pornography since 96, it's because Jesus trained me in righteousness. It's not because I don't have the working parts of a man. If I stepped out of God's training program right now, I could commit adultery on my wife as fast as any of those pastors do. And don't judge pastors more than you judge your superstars, Ben and J-Lo, on their 20th time together, three different baby daddies in their lives. Come on. They judge pastors like they're the worst in the whole world. They should be held to a higher standard, but they're even better off than the Kardashians are. Can I hear an amen? But they don't judge the Kardashians. They still keep them as their superstars. Oh, we, we're okay with it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay at all. I'm just saying, hey, just give grace across the board and let sinners repent and if Christians don't live like it, don't follow them, okay? I have a testimony of being free from pornography for years. Follow my testimony, not somebody else's. But here's my point. It's not because I'm better than you. It's because the Word of God trained me. I'm loyal to my wife going on 20 years, not because I haven't got upset, not because we haven't had reasons to have arguments. It's because we've trained ourselves that we don't tear apart our foundations when we get in arguments. 
I've talked to some couples, they've only been married a year. They've uh, mentioned the word divorce 20 times already. You don't mention the word divorce in a time of argument, in a time of anger. You stay with each other. The enemy is not in that house. The enemy is called the devil, and you fight against him together. What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. And marriages will stay together if we're trained in that. There's a reason why your grandparents stayed together. There's a reason why my parents are almost on their 50th. You get trained in it. And that's why the Bible says train up your young people. We don't have to see all of our young people go to drag queen story hour. We don't have to see all of our young people be confused about their gender. They weren't confused about it 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. They don't have to be confused about it now if we train them up. Amen? So we take the Word of God and we receive it and we bring it into our lives. And just go to that chart, and this is where we'll end. And please do your homework and come back next week ready. Is This is now how we teach it to others. We serve them up the plate of the God's Word. Does anybody remember going to lunch uh, as in a high school or something or, or middle school, and they had the thing on the trays, and you could put your vegetables here, your mashed potatoes over there. Does anybody remember those? I don't know. Maybe other places like hospitals still have those. you got to be able to know how to serve that up everywhere you go. Man, I'm getting taught the Word of God, and I'm teaching the Word of God. The Word of God is rebuking me, and I'm rebuking those who have ears to hear. The Word of God is correcting me, and I'm correcting those who have ears to hear. I'm being trained in the Word of God, and I'm training others who have words to, uh, ears to hear. And in the, the next verses in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Preach the Word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. So it, it, it reiterates two of those and adds a third one, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. So I added encourage there. So what does the Word of God do? It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, it trains. It encourages. You learn that as a leader, and your life will never be the same. And you can bring that into the science class. You can bring that to the university. You can bring that to your job. They said to Chick-fil-A, you close on Sundays, you'll never make any money. Not only did they make money, Kanye West wrote a song about it, Close on Sunday. Because now that's what they're known for is closed on Sunday. Oh, Hobby Lobby, you won't make money. All the hobbyers are going to buy stuff on Sunday. They said, no, we're going to put the Lord's Day first. Once again, still open while Kmart's and all these other ones are closing. Don't tell me God's Word don't fix it. It does. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. We have to work the Word for it to work. If you and I think that everything is just going to come to us by like what they say, osmosis, just boop. And then now it fixes you. You came to church once, boop, and it fixed you. After you spent 40 hours listening to your boss cuss all week or listening to your friends talk about sports or you went to three bars to watch three different games, if you think that's going to work just coming to church on Sunday, you don't understand the dietary plan of the Word of God. You've got to put your mind into this like you put your mind into your job. You've got to put your heart and soul into this like you put it into that guru that you follow online. I listen to these people spit total nonsense, yet they have a million followers. And yet you talk to young adults and say, oh, I tried that Jesus stuff. They will listen to some of the most ridiculous influencers right now. You see who they are. Andrew Tate's one of them. I looked at Andrew Tate when he was first coming up, and I said, now here's a wicked sinner. Let's see how far he gets. This guy made his money teaching men how to pimp other women on OnlyFans. He developed a following of about 100 million and became the largest searched name on the internet. Why are we losing to people like that? 
How are people like that taking our young men's attention? Come on, somebody. It's because we've let the world win. We need to let them know we're here and we're not going anywhere and we have the answer. And I'm thankful for the Christian influencers who are giving him a run for his money. I actually made a YouTube video about him as well. A lot of people got upset. But you can watch it on my, my YouTube channel, What Do You Believe? Because I couldn't sit back and watch all of these people online and me not saying anything. So I started making videos and response videos, etc. Do you know that Mr. Beast used to have Not Ashamed of the Gospel over his YouTube channel? Put up there for me Mr. Beast's original cover for his YouTube, please. Mr. Beast started off as a Christian going to Christian schools. But now one of his number one friends has wanted to become a girl. Chris, God have mercy. Now I can't let my kids watch this. Before it was fun. How many used to watch Mr. Beast? How many decide if you're going to watch him depending on whether or not that young man is in there? Sometimes I do. I'll be honest. I'll watch him. But I'm like, if that guy's in here, we're not watching. I'm not watching a guy transform into a make-believe girl. I'm not teaching that to my children. But you young people, everybody look at me. Don't let anybody tell you you can't be great for God. God gave Mr. Beast every one of those gifts and talents from his word, taught him how to love people, be kind. That's why he was so different than everybody else, giving out things. Got his popularity based on the word of God. Put it over his YouTube channel, not ashamed. Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That's what he put on his YouTube page as he was getting towards 10, 20, 30, 40 million followers. Sometimes people say, well, we're Christians. We're always going to suffer. They're going to hate us. We can't be successful. Do not use Christianity as your excuse to be a loser. Do not do, not, do, not do that with me. Do not use Christianity as your excuse to be a loser or to, to, to stink at life. You get out there and you do your best and you win. There's when he had John 3.16, but it started off when he had Romans 1.16. That's one of the ones that he had. There's going scrolled uh, uh, this way for me here. Yeah, he used to have Romans 1.16. That wasn't the one that I was thinking of here. Put, uh, put Mr. Beast, Romans 1.16 up there. Yeah, now just put right there Romans 1.16. And then we'll close out after we've gotten this revelation. How many are ready for this? That God will use you to change the world. No, this is not. I'll spend another. I'll put it up on my Facebook page. Will we all stand up today? Give it up for Jesus. Come on. Just put in... Mr. Beast, Romans 1.16, and then see if you can find it with, with uh, Rudy. The rest of uh, everyone that's standing and altar workers, would you please come up here? Let's get ready to pray. How many want to be used for God in a great way by the Word of God? Amen. How many want to do something great today with God's Word? Do you want to do something great? What do you want to do? Let's go. Pray. Seek the Lord. Well, well God hasn't told me anything yet. Well, 